Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Joe Parra is a Buffalo native who studied film and began his stand-up comedy career at Ithaca College. After college, Parra moved to New York City, where he started a regular showcase with his childhood friend Dan Licata and Charles Gould called The Dan, Joe, and Charles Show. Parra's comedy voice made the leap to late-night TV in 2016 with the animated Adult Swim infomercial Joe Parra Talks You to Sleep. Adult Swim liked it so much, they've kept bringing Parra back. First with the Christmas special, Joe Parra Helps You Find the Perfect Christmas Tree, and two seasons so far of Joe Parra Talks With You. You may also have seen Para on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert or Late Night with Seth Meyers. I sat down with Para in a diner near his Brooklyn apartment to talk about his life and career and what may come next. So let's get to it! Okay. So Joe Para, thank you for letting me join you in your in your neighborhood. Uh, thanks thanks for coming, Sean. <laughs> thank, uh, yeah, no, it's very nice you come come here. Well, I wanted to I wanted you to be comfortable. Oh yeah, I'm, because because I, you always in your Adult Swim series, you always put put us as viewers at such ease and comfort. I didn't want you to be ill at ease. No, I'm as comfortable as I can be. Uh, I just ate a, a, a omelet with uh, tomatoes, mushrooms, cheddar cheese. I'm feeling great. Also, like I was saying, it was, it's heated in here, which is a treat because uh, the, the 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 hot heat and hot water in my apartment is off. So. Just being warm is a, is a nice feeling right now. I mean, you've got to be fortunate then that we haven't had a cold, bitter winter. It's true. Yeah, no, last weekend when I was in the 60s was a treat. Which is a which is a far cry from growing up in Buffalo, mm-hmm. where I only I only hear about it or see it on when they talk about the weather, and they go, "Well, let's go to Buffalo where it's horrible." Yeah, we get a lot of snow. I think it's. Uh, there's a, I forget the name of it, but it's like a, 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 a snow cup or some kind of a, a, a unofficial tournament we do with uh, Syracuse and Rochester to see who gets the most snow every year. Oh. And Buffalo, I think, has won more than any other place. Well, it's uh, the lake, right? It's, it's right. Yeah, it's the, the when the, the the wind blows off the, the or the cold wind blows off of uh, uh, Lake Erie. Uh, which is usually it takes a while to cool down. It, it creates a lot of snowfall uh, right on Buffalo, uh, a lot more than Cleveland. And uh, but uh, it's not it, 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 while there's a lot of snow on morning. It's not that bad cold wise, like compared to Milwaukee or mm-hmm. Marquette where we shoot, because they get in Milwaukee's in single digits a lot of the times, and Marquette is much colder than that because it's so far north and right on. But it's on the but it's on the west side of the lake there, right? So it's the wind. Does the wind come off the lake that way too, or uh, or does it just go west to east? I have no idea. But it is. <laughs> you didn't go to school for meteorology, did you? No, I'm sorry. I, I, no. <laughs> you actually went. I I had forgotten about this until I went back and I checked my files. But you went to college with like a, a Rod Serling scholarship. Is this right? Yeah. I, what I, it, what was it exactly? 
Uh, it's something I got in my junior year of school, I guess, based on the, the short films I was making. But he wasn't. Uh, he did, he was a professor there for a while at Ithaca. Okay. I forget the story of how he ended up there, but he he lectured there post Twilight Zone, and I think even while he was doing it, and uh, he would allow the, he would have like these late night sessions as the the legend uh, with students, and everybody would kind of spread word of mouth, mm-hmm. and then he'd play episodes of Twilight Zone or other uh, projects that he made, and he'd allow the students to actually critique it. Wow! And, yeah, and that was way before my time. Yeah, way before our time. But um, yeah, I uh, his, his wife uh, has a scholarship in his honor, and mm-hmm. I won it uh, the, the one year, and it was yeah, it was really neat. But I, I would yeah. your would you consider your short films back in college like Twilight Zone esque or no? Definitely not. They were, <laughs> what were they like? Trying. To How would you compare them to an episode of? Of Joe Parra talks with you on Adult Swim. Um, I don't know. It was kind of f- f- figuring it out, of course, and I'm mm-hmm. glad I got to make them. I'm trying to think of... There was one night that I made with... I actually made it was uh, with middle school kids that might have been the start mm-hmm. of something, but I think my favorite was one that I made with uh, uh, a friend, uh, Sean Elligers, and uh, a guy named Brock Cerny. Mm-hmm. Anyhow... Sean had a beard, and the premise of it was uh, something goes wrong on a date, and Mm -hmm. the woman just tells him that she doesn't like him because of his beard. So Sean shaves his beard off, and it falls onto the sink, and then we use stop-motion animation to have it talk to him and uh, tell him that it was okay to have a beard. And then the short ended with him uh, uh, putting it back on his face using peanut butter and it was just the peanut butter and a human hair beard and I, I yeah that was probably the best thing I made in college how many takes did you make him do for that uh, with the peanut butter I think we shot it in one night and then we did it was just the three of us making it uh, so I think he just took the peanut butter attached mm-hmm. it to his face and like that was that was all there was to it okay yeah but that was yeah it was very funny and I've watched it since and it's is neat to, you know, because we we got to shoot stop motion using a film camera, and I don't know. Back back then, when you were in school at Ithaca, was your goal to be a filmmaker, or what were you thinking at the time? You'd be doing by now. Comedy was always kind of a goal, and comedy film. I just I don't know. A lot of people I I, I looked up to could kind of perform and direct. Like I don't know, Christopher Guest for a long time was uh, like yeah. my top, and like it seemed like you know it's a to, to know how to do a little bit of everything is always nice because you know I I think like it's allowed me to kind of having a little bit of film know how has helped me uh, bring the what I want to do to my stand-up and translate it to the show and I think that's been helpful because if I didn't do that it would have been harder I would have been more of a figuring out process right. I was able to kind of do it all work on different things and learn certain things and apply I don't know I guess my certain ideas about comedy to a, a, a bunch of uh, ways that I work right. well one thing you you do have in common with 
with Christopher is you have a tight-knit group of collaborators who are kind of share your philosophy and and meld so well together you and, and Connor and Joe and yeah I think yeah we have a lot of the same or our approaches are very different but I, I think we kind of have a lot of similar or adjacent ideas about what we want to do with the, the comedy mm-hmm. even though it feels really different <laughs> um, yeah I don't know I wish I could work with Parker Posey. Well, well, let's put, let's put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, well, but going back to when you were a student in Ithaca, so comedy was already on the brain. I know you did stand up while you were still in college. Did did Ithaca bring in comedians t- as well? Did you get to see anybody on campus or? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're never. Uh... Anybody anybody we know now or were they? People who were like college NACA comedians who. Uh, I remember they had Aziz one time. Okay. The, uh, 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 Jonah Ray came one time. Okay. And unfortunately for him, like, he had the. They have like this uh, 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 cafe in the performing area. Okay. And so they have like this. Uh, like blended drink maker that goes off. Oh no! And so kept on going off during his set, and I guess he was. So it's louder ready. than louder than this diner. Yeah, much louder than this diner. Much louder, and also people can walk through the middle of it. Oh man! So uh, did you did you have to perform like that as well when you performed there? Yeah, but it was kind of like I don't know home field advantage. You knew like to expect it and to brush it off, mm-hmm. and um, I think he was expecting like a quiet venue like you hope for when you're performing and getting paid to perform somewhere but um as, yeah, a, prof- nice. as a professional oh yeah oh also kumail performed while i was there okay I, yeah and it was fun he's a really nice guy because I, I i liked his comedy of course and then dan and i uh i won a stand-up competition which meant that i got to open for him and dan and i Lakata did mm-hmm. a bit where which ended I think where we dumped a bag there's a bag of ice dumped on one of the two of us and I can't forget but there was like a big pile of ice on the middle of the stage and Kumail kind of just kicked it aside and performed mm-hmm. and he was very complimentary and didn't mind and it was it was very neat that uh, he was able to uh, I don't know he, he said he thought it was funny which meant the world but also it was cool that he could just kind of go on stage and not mind and shrug it off and do a cool, a good set. Did you ask Kamel or anybody else for advice before you moved to New York? Mm. No. Uh, uh, a little bit. I'm trying to think. I did write to Christopher Guest when I was at high school about comedy in general. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a, a kind of embarrassing look, letter looking back, but he wrote me a note that I still have, and it just says, uh, I, I, I asked him, I must have asked him the secret to being funny. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, there is no secret, just do what you think is funny. And I, I don't know. I thought That's that amazing, was, though, that one that he wrote back, and two yeah. that he wrote a sincere letter, not just a form. Yeah, it was just a, a little note, and that was pretty much it, mm-hmm. but... I don't know. I think that it was excellent advice. That's something that's, you know, just kind of stick to your guns on what you 
personally think is funny and I don't know. There's a lot more to it than that, but I, I think that's a major aspect to doing good comedy, and coming from him is just something I've always kept in mind. Well, and you've certainly kept to that advice because you haven't changed who you are in a business where I suspect plenty of people probably gave you suggestions about things to do differently. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of hard, but I don't know. I've kind of just... I don't know. Yeah, oftentimes have doubts about it, especially when things don't go well. But I don't know. I was lucky that Dan and I have been working together. Dan Licata, who writes on the show, mm-hmm. he's writing for SNL now, and we've known each other since middle school. And um, we could just kind of uh, we'd run jokes by one another. And I know that if I made Dan laugh, it was funny, and mm-hmm. vice versa. So. It kind of like, I don't want to say like a comic cocoon, but I, I knew that if if I could trust our instincts uh, between the two of us, and when we, if Dan would say no, it would mean more than, you know, if a joke flopped in right. front of a whole audience. So that kind of helped a lot. And then, um, it, uh, yeah, I just, I think if... It's hard. I think you do have to listen to the audience a little bit, but with the grain of salt so that you don't kind of change what you do, but just kind of figure out how to meet halfway a little right. bit. Well, when you arrive in New York City, that was 2010, and you arrive and you have this demeanor already defined. Like, you are who you are. You, you know, you have, you're a gentle, easygoing guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your, your vocal delivery is very deliberate which already stands out but you're in a city that kind of is known to reward aggressive kind of more in your face stand up yeah did you did you find that being so different helped in the beginning or was it something that you had to overcome to a degree i kind of just had the mindset that it's just, uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to to stand out to a degree, but I knew if that if I just kept doing mics and mm-hmm. my jokes were good, that it uh, I could you know t- take my time up there and it would uh, I guess hopefully pay off. I, I just wanted, I guess, had the goal of being funny and let it everything else figure itself out. And I think being consistent at mics and just making the people who were there laugh helped a good deal and you know it was a, a period of time where you know you know to get people to, to to pay attention but once you know people knew that you had worthwhile stuff and would listen up when you were on stage then if your jokes worked they would start to like you and that was that was it it was always I just I'm not like a real uh, I'm not a a quick thinker or a wit or anything so I just wanted to I knew that I the, the best way that I could do comedy was just to take it at my own pace and write really strong jokes and luckily people kind of grew to like that How long do you figure did it take before you started getting people's attention both just in the audience and the industry as a whole mm. I, I don't know I can't 
tell you. I mean, was it a couple years more than that? I mean, I I think people like seeing something different on mm-hmm. stage, and, uh, so I don't I don't know. I haven't really thought about this in a while. Like you know, do you remember? Do you remember like a specific moment or a show when things started to click, and you're like, oh, I'm actually making it as a comedian or I don't have to work a day job anymore do you remember a moment um well uh there was uh I guess uh yeah I remember when I got first booked on my first show that was incredible I uh I uh yeah to to do it not an open mic that felt pretty incredible it was at uh what was the comedy club on 14th Street? Oh, comics. Yeah, and what was the one on the the, the the venue underneath it? Uh, Ochi's Lounge. Ochi's Lounge. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Got book for, to perform at a, like an actual book show at Ochi's Lounge, <laughs> and that was like a moment that felt uh, I don't know that felt great to do a show that I didn't have to just wait to go up for with 20 people. I think the moment when it became kind of a it started to become a day job was uh, uh, the, when I made the sleep special. Uh, Joe Parra talks mm-hmm. you to sleep for Adult Swim. And, the animated uh-huh. short. And it wasn't, uh, you know, it was at 4 a.m. And they kind of give you a, a small budget to kind of, with because the, there's a lot of creative freedom. There's not a, a huge uh, amount of money, but mm-hmm. it was just enough that I could kind of uh, know that I would be okay for a few months without working any other job and then I forgot I didn't I forgot to set aside part of that money to pay taxes on it and ended up in debt to the IRS oh wow yeah I probably shouldn't get into that on here <laughs> but you know it was you like, and Leslie Snipes <laughs> we're the yeah we're very similar <laughs> um, but yeah for like three months or so after I was like wow I could be okay and then I realized about the tax thing and then I was mm-hmm. <laughs> then reality caught up but for that brief period it felt like I, you know that, that was kind of a, 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 a jump to full time at, at what point in after moving to New York did you and Dan and then there was another guy Joe decide to start your own show oh Charles Gould Charles, Charles Gould yeah uh, we uh I was living with Dan at the time, and we just wanted to do a regular weekly show because mm-hmm. it seemed. It's. A, it, I still think it's a great step. Like after open mics, you know, you start a weekly show so you can book other people on it and also get your your stage time. And it's just a nice way to meet people and build an an audience and just not do an open mic. Right. Where did you Where did you guys first start your weekly show? We started at the Creek in the Cave, okay, and we did that for two years. Then we did it at UCB for roughly two years, and we've done it for the past two years at the New York Distilling Company in Williamsburg. And we're currently on pause because I had to go to Milwaukee to make the show and right. dance. That Tuesday night is their big writing night for us. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> he's kind of busy. Yeah. But it was nice, especially when he's busy writing sketches for J Lo. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she has strange. Dan got engaged uh, not too long ago, and he he said uh, to me on the phone when I called him to congratulate him, and he said, 
I can't believe that I'm writing for SNL and I'm getting married. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> both, both good things, but I guess very adult. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the fact that you you said you, you've been friends with him since middle school, mm-hmm. like how how what's crazier to the two of you that he's writing on SNL or that you are starring in your own late night show? I don't want to uh, say too much, but it's probably crazier that he's writing for <laughs> SNL. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get him in trouble, but it's, <laughs> I don't know. We just make 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 jokes for a while. Right. Well, I mean, you've known him since you were guys were like twelve or thirteen, so it's that's got to be surreal. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, I guess also kind of both our personalities. We've uh, don't I don't really do John like the you know celebrities and mm-hmm. writing for. Yeah, I guess yeah, when for you say kids from writing, writing for yeah. J Lo, that's that's is very strange compared to like you know because Dan's stand up is uh, is very unique and kind of you know he likes to uh, make make jokes that are uh, I don't know if you've seen his Twitter but they would not most of those would not go on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why he's not on SNL. He's just writing for yeah. it. Yeah, which I think he he's learned a lot from and enjoying. But how how important was it then to have that weekly show of your own that you guys could get get stage time and and develop as comedians? It was great. I mean, it took. I really appreciate the, that how much space we had to kind of learn and grow it. Uh, at the at, at the the creek, mm-hmm. like we I remember we did like a three hour show one time, and now we know better. But uh, I, you know to, to keep a comedy live comedy show to an hour and a half. But <laughs> those steps of growth and how to host mm-hmm. and um, just how to loosen up on was stage. that upstairs or downstairs at the creek? Upstairs. Okay. It was it was very nice. And our first show was on uh, election night. I think. T- 2012 Mm -hmm. when uh, Obama was re-elected and also there was the after the hurricane there was flooding on the subway oh yeah yeah so we got like Superstorm Sandy right so we got like three people out and we played the the fake election videos we had made specifically for that show for them and uh, then and then then everybody went home (laughs) but um I don't know. We always we would get together and write bits before the show or shoot videos for the show. We took them very seriously, but and I think like that SNL, kind of. <laughs> you had a week to put on a show. Yeah, and so I think we learned a lot through the the, the repetition and mm-hmm. you know just getting a regular audience where we could be ourselves on stage more and. Uh, I think it was very important, and like I said, it was just nice to meet people through it by the people that you book on your show and people that would come out. It was uh, anybody who's starting comedy. I would think I, they definitely do a weekly show. Who, whose idea was that first uh, anim- animated Adult Swim special? Uh, it was mine. I was. Uh, it was uh, 
Um, it's a cappuccino machine. And That's it's okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was. I was kind of doing it as a stand-up bit on stage, and then it, and then it. <laughs> was, they're they're more worried about us than we I are. know. It was very nice. Yeah. But, so it was a bit you did on stage, and then yeah, and it was like an hour show, and then I got the opportunity to pitch something to Adult Swim, and I kind of. Uh, uh, put a, pitched it as like mm-hmm. a late night thing and they liked it a lot and but your your first idea though was to be animated not you no it, w- it actually wasn't I wanted oh, okay. to do a live action okay. from the start but um, I didn't feel like in the pitch I was able to convey everything that, that I wanted it to convey and like you know just how relaxing I wanted it to be and that it should be to put people to sleep and not just be funny and it's hard but then I felt that I went home that weekend and mm-hmm. basically repurposed an animation I had made with uh, Kieran O'Hare okay. who animated the whole thing and I redubbed it mm-hmm. and I worked for for two days to do that and I sent them like a three minute version of it Okay, which they then I think helped put it over the edge and convince them because and, they are animation heavy over there, right? So. And people like it, and mm-hmm. uh, so they said, oh, "Okay, let's do it." And, I, and then I tried to say to the uh, development person, "Like, okay, we could do this live action, right?" And he and he said, um, "They they greenlit it. Don't screw around. You know, mm-hmm. just do this, and then maybe the next thing we'll do it. But if you got the okay, just run with it." So we did the whole thing animated, and I I think is. I'm glad that we did. It was kind of allowed for some separation because uh, uh, between me and the, the animation on screen, and mm-hmm. it was uh, it would have been a whole layer to the process of shooting it and just being able to work uh, in a kind of more detached way. It was like kind of we were able to develop what the series is now through making all the decisions or a lot of some decisions in the animation okay so it was just like kind of like an ongoing development process how how quickly after the uh sleep one were you able to get the christmas tree um, i basically I, I pitched them some ideas for like a full season of mm-hmm. things and i guess they weren't right looking back they, they were uh they they weren't right mm-hmm. yet and like it wasn't to the point of development it was ready for a series okay but it was their idea and uh, uh, Cameron Tang and Mike Lazo just suggested that to, to make a Christmas special and they basically said anything you want to do as oh. long as it's done by uh, uh, like I, I think it was like uh, November right so they could air it during the season yeah so yeah. It was very open-ended, and yeah, I wrote the script with Dan, and we went and shot it, and we went up to Michigan, where it was uh, up in the UP, where it was most likely to snow in October right. in, in the U.S., and then, yeah, that's how... And lots of good trees. The beautiful trees. I mean, you needed, you needed the trees. We did, and they're, they're one of the top tree-producing states, too, mm-hmm. so that's uh, one of the reasons we ended up there as well. I just I showed that to my to my parents this past Christmas. Really? Yeah. I, I they wanted something to watch. I said, let's watch Joe Perry helps you pick out a Christmas that's tree. A, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I couldn't. 
my family wanted to put it on and I couldn't bring myself to watch it again I, I, if, if, uh, you know I just don't like watching uh, my stuff if I don't have to and I don't even though that one has your has your real grandmother in it that that scene I would watch okay yeah but uh, I don't know it's just that I'd rather watch another Christmas movie <laughs> but I mean that's kind of the goal I've it's the dream to kind of create something that people want to put on every year and and, and is it become like a holiday tradition I don't know so I'm it's very cool that it's, people will want to watch it and I think that Adult Swim aired it this year which is nice and I I appreciate that people still want to watch it it's cool was it was it pretty quick after that to get the the actual series in development or did it take a while Mm. I think after that, I made I helped Connor O'Malley make his Truth Hunter special. Then I went and kind of uh, put together an uh, overall series outline, and then pitched it in March of 2016 or 17. I forget, but no, it must have been 17. So I, I went and pitched them the series after I helped Connor with his uh, the Truth on his pilot. Okay. And now now that you have two seasons in the can, where do you see this going? Is this is this something that you foresee like being an Adult Swim for years to come? Or I hope so. At this point, uh, what is it? January sixteenth, two thousand nineteen. We have twenty. Twenty. Sorry, <laughs> we haven't heard anything yet. Okay. I mean, I'm hoping. They've been so good to work with and just being open to any ideas and wherever we we want to take the series. So, um, yeah, I don't. I, I, I would like to make more. I, don't know. I was I was I was going to pull up my phone because um, one of the first times I featured you on my website, the Comics Comic, was back in 2014. Oh boy! And one of the questions I asked you back then. This was November 2014. I said, where do you see yourself five years from now? Oh, and your response was, five, five years from now, I think I would be very happy if I were still in New York doing stand-up, but better than I am now. <laughs> that said, I think I'd be even happier if five years from now I didn't do stand-up, but just own an apple orchard with my wife. <laughs> so... Now that we're <laughs> yeah. Now that we're officially five years past yeah. that, how do you feel? How do you feel you've done? Well, I hope my stand-up's improved, and I guess that'd be an ongoing goal for my entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, with an apple orchard with my wife sounds great. <laughs> um, I'm not married, but I don't know. I think so. Yeah. How do you feel about not having an apple orchard or a wife? At I mean, this point, but you do have an adult swim series. Oh, bummed! Is it's it? not as good as an apple orchard on a white. But I don't know. I guess all comedians have a little bit of a fantasy of what they'd be doing if mm-hmm. not comedy, and kind of if they were able to step away. I know Joe Firestone uh, has been saying that she wants to go back for a veterinarian's degree, mm-hmm. and. I know it's just kind of like that alternative fantasy life when you're just kind of I don't know but we're all going to do comedy forever or a lot of I don't know Joe at least I hope she does it'd be a shame if she quit and I think 
I would love to have an apple orchard, but I don't know if I could realistically not do comedy because it's, I'd, yeah, it would be a bummer. Yeah, we, it would be a bummer. We need you, Joe. Yeah. So I mean, I, you could always buy an apple orchard and do that when you're not shooting. Or yeah. buy an apple orchard just for the sake of having a new season of the show set in the apple orchard. That's a very good idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I guess I guess it's settled then. People but, might think I took this series too far. <laughs> I hope not. I, I hope I hope there's no way this series could go yeah. too far. Yeah. But yeah, no. That, I don't know. I mean, the, yeah, like I said, the fantasy still sounds nice. But if I wasn't able to do stand up or, I think I would be a little. Uh, Something would be missing. Yeah, something would be missing. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.